You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading today is from Romans 15, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to, the rule, to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Our mission that we share every single week is this. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all people. We say that every single week, but over the next couple weeks, what we have an opportunity to do is to really flesh that out a bit, to explore God's mission in this world and really how we as a congregation, as a people here in Stockton can participate. This is what we see laid out for us in this passage in Romans chapter 15. Now, by way of reminder, a little bit of historic context here. In the midst of political division, cultural upheaval, uh, racial divisions in the church and in the city, the Apostle Paul wrote to this first century church believing community in Rome in order to remind them of the good news The good news that God has formed a new humanity, one that is not based on our race or our gender or our religious performance or our cultural practices, but is based simply on faith in the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And as a result of this forming this new humanity, what this causes within us, what this forms in us is a hope, profound hope. We, as God's people, are a community of hope that has the hope of eternity and the renewal of all things. What also also this, this forms in us is love in the face of hate, honor and care for people in places of blatant disregard for human dignity. And ultimately, what we're going to see here is that this forms a welcoming, hospitable spirit in God's people. It makes us a welcoming community in societies that are based on exclusion, isolation, and alienation. And so as Paul ends the very, you know, nears the very end of his letter, we're getting really, really close to finishing this this letter that we've been walking through this year. But as he comes to the end, he's going to like turn up the heat a little bit and now boldly remind them of God's vision for his church all along. This vision that involves bringing those who are outside of relationship with God and his family 
into reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ. And there are two themes here that we're going to focus on which help us to understand God's mission and our participation. Just two points if you're taking notes tonight. Uh, you're welcome. And it's these. Welcome. You're welcome. And worship. Welcome and worship. Let's focus on these two themes. First, let's focus on welcome. Now, Ernest Hemingway began one of his short stories with this line. Madrid is full of boys named Paco. And he goes on to explain why. He says that there's a story in Madrid about a father who came into the city and inserted an ad in the personal column of the local newspaper. And in that personal column, it said this, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, all is forgiven, papa. And the story goes that the police had to be called to the scene to serve as a sort of crowd control for the some 800 boys named Paco that showed up. Madrid is full of boys named Paco. In other words, the world is full of people experiencing the pain of estrangement. Estrangement meaning having lost a, a sense of closeness, that feeling of being alienated, being disconnected from a previously close relationship. Research has found that the experience of estrangement is a very widespread experience among a lot of people. And it's a serious threat to our overall well-being and our overall society. In fact, I read an article from a psychologist that believes a number of things like chronic stress, inordinate fear, insecurity, depression, separation anxiety, detachment disorder, and more, that many of these all stem from some underlying feeling of separation. That deep and at times unrecognizable sense of being alienated, of being disconnected. This may mean being estranged from a parent. This may mean being separated from a sibling or a childhood friend or a lover or a spouse or fill in the blank. But the unique thing about this experience is that we can also feel very alone when we are together. It's the irony of this experience that it's even something that we can feel Right now, in a room full of people, aloneness, separation, disconnection, even when we're surrounded by people, we can feel that estrangement. Why is that? Why is this such a widespread experience, no matter what our upbringing, whether or not you were raised in a warm, welcoming you know, home or a broken home? Well, as we look at the Bible, one of the, this is actually one of the important ways that it describes our fallen human condition. Our problem is not that we lack a sense of purpose. Our problem isn't that we lack self-esteem. Our problem isn't just that we do naughty things that we ought not do. Our deepest problem, at our like deepest core, is that we are estranged because of sin. We're helplessly separated from God, each other, and even our truest selves. The prophet Isaiah would describe it like this in Isaiah 59. 
He said, your iniquities have made a separation or literally driven a wedge between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. And so the reality of our willful disobedience, our I'm gonna go it my own way attitude of rebellion, it's caused separation between us and God. And humanity's dream of autonomy, humanity's dream of we, we're gonna do it our way on our terms turned into the nightmare of alienation. And so whether a person is religious or not, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're a social butterfly or absolutely a social outcast, we are all born into this separation and we all continue it through our sin, through our self-reliance, through our autonomy. And without the gracious intervention of God, or as Paul would describe it elsewhere in Scripture, without the ministry of reconciliation, we are on a path towards endless separation from God. And therefore, endless separation from love and endless separation from our truest selves. This explains so much of the struggle that we have in our whole human experience. It explains that ongoing sense of loneliness. It explains that deep fear of rejection that many of us have. It explains why many of us have to be the funny one or the pretty one or the successful one or the famous one or the smart one or the loved one to find our place. It explains why we cling to people, even the people that we shouldn't. It explains why we keep people at an arm's length, uh, hoping, you know, to to save ourselves from the pain of future abandonment. It explains why we stare endlessly into screens, hoping that there is someone on the other end that sees us and recognizes us. It explains why no matter how many people we know or how many follows we get or how many shallow digital online relationships we have, no matter how many compliments we get, no matter how many times people acknowledge our presence, it's never enough to resolve that deep sense of I am disconnected. And so if sin is separation, then as Paul describes here in Romans 15, salvation is being welcomed. If sin is separation, salvation is welcome. Look with me again in verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, if separation is our deepest human problem, then what Paul has just shown us is that the welcome of Jesus is our greatest hope. If separation is the fruit of sin, then welcome is heaven's greatest gift. And not just welcome from anyone, welcome from Jesus. This is the Jesus who experienced endless communion with the Father, eternally connected in mutual love and and joy and giving and fulfillment within the Trinity, who then out of love willingly entered into the pain of our separation for us. The Jesus that was misunderstood and ridiculed by his family. The Jesus that was rejected by his closest friends. 
The Jesus that was betrayed and mocked and shamed and stripped and beaten and crucified outside of the city. And worst of all, the Jesus that experienced the pain of separation from God on the cross who cried out in Matthew 27, quoting one of the Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of all people to be separated from in this entire universe, you. Why? This was also that we who trust in Jesus could be reconciled to God and reconciled to his family. He was abandoned so that we could be welcomed. And this is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is this welcome home. It's the declaration from God himself saying, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how worthy you you feel. It doesn't matter. All is forgiven. Come home. This is also repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is to turn from our attempts at autonomy to turn from going it our own way and returning home. Repentance is responding to that call, come son, come daughter, come home. You're always welcome. Like the parable of the prodigal son who despite his rebellion, despite that demand to live life on his own terms, which we can all associate with, He was welcomed back with no questions asked. He came back ready to come back as a servant. I'll work, I'll scrub the floors. I'll do anything that you demand just for a place in your family. And the father says, nonsense. No questions asked. No having to grovel, no having to make amends, no having to fix his mistakes. He simply had to come home. And it says that the father threw the party of parties to celebrate his return. And likewise, the Bible says that when one sinner repents and returns home, whether for the first time or the hundredth time, all of heaven rejoices. One author put it this way, I collect images of walk-off home run hitters rounding third base because they are an image of heaven. Can we pull up that slide? I know there's like probably, well, maybe one Cubs fan in the house here today. But I want you to picture that scene right there. Pay attention. Look closer than you would normally look at a baseball picture. See how the guy is just flying. See the the guy on third base there, just arms open. See the joy. See the faces. See these guys like, elevating off the ground. See the crowd in the background losing their freaking minds for a ball going over a wall. (laughs) How much more celebration in heaven and on earth when one sinner repents and returns. Heaven opens wide its arms saying, come home Get in here. If the gospel is that welcome, then our gospel ministry 
Our call as God's people, our mission as a church is very simple. It's to extend that welcome. To emulate that. To embody that. Crossing racial, crossing religious, crossing economic lines in order to say and to show to others, you belong here too. Come home, run home, stay home. You're with family now. You're with family now. One of the places where this welcome, I believe, ought to be seen and experienced most is right here in our gatherings. Right here as we gather to worship Jesus. A theologian named Rebecca McLaughlin said that when, he, when her and her family go to church, they have three very important rules of engagement. They recite these three rules before they go to church every Sunday. Here's the three rules. The first, an alone person in our gathering becomes a top priority. Like everything else, forget everything else, someone alone, top priority. Number two, friends can wait. Church is not just some social club, a clique where we connect with our friends week after week. Friends can wait. And number three, introduce a newcomer to someone else. Someone alone is a priority. Friends can wait. And let's do everything we can do to get this person further connected into the life of this community so that they know that they're loved by Jesus, welcomed by us. Amen? Gospel ministry is extending that welcome. Number two, God's mission and our participation involves worship. Worship. Look at me again in verses 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, a.k.a. the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, a.k.a. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and in order that the Gentiles, that's anyone else who's not Jewish, might glorify God for his mercy. So what Paul is saying here is that God fulfilled his promise and his promises to the religious insiders for the sake of the religious outsiders. God was at work within the lives of the religious insiders so that the blessing could overflow to the religious outsiders. If you're here today and you're like, I feel like such an outsider, I don't know what's going on, I feel so disconnected, good news, the blessing of God has come for you. The mercy of God is being extended to you. And what Paul goes on to do is he quotes from the Old Testament to show that this was the plan all along. And it's really interesting what Paul does here. He quotes four different passages from the Old Testament, and he shows that it shows up in all four major sections of the Old Testament. The, um, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and then the historic accounts, and then the Psalms, and in the prophets. So let's go one by one. Verse nine, as it's written, where? Second Samuel 22. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Next verse, and again it is said, where? Deuteronomy 32. 
Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Next verse. And again, where? Well, in Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even uh, he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Praise, 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 praise. So, here's the deal. Our goal here as a church, our mission, our vision, what we're all about, it's not simply about becoming a welcoming community. It's not simply about being a diverse community, although those things are very, very important. Our ultimate goal is stated here. Our ultimate goal is God's glory among all people. That is what gets us up. That is what drives us. That's what motivates us. That's where we're headed. God's glory among all people. That's why Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. So that God's name would be praised among all the nations. And that's why I am personally excited about being a gospel-centered church in the most diverse city in America. Think about the praise that could happen here. Think about the fulfillment of God's eternal mission being realized right in our own backyard among all people. John Piper said this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is the ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever, forever, ever. So one day, think about this, one day so much of what we do as a church community is going to be obsolete. We're not going to do it anymore. Outreach is going to go away. Feeding the poor is going to end. Conflict resolution, what's that? Church discipline, peace, deuces, see you later. Sermons, what's the point? <laughs> Books that tell us about God and tell us how to interact with God, that's no longer going to be necessary. But worship, worship will never end. Never end. And so every time that we gather to sing to God, every time that we call each other to lift up our voices and to declare God's greatness, what we're doing is something very special. We are aligning ourselves and our families and our children and our community with what God is doing in eternity. We are literally getting in, in, the most, getting in on the most important thing going in the universe. There's a lot of important stuff happening in the world. This is ultimate. And we are aligning with it. There's nothing trivial about our praise. There's nothing like willy-nilly, like, well, whatever. It's just kind of what we do about singing to God. It is not like the transition before the beginning of this, or between the beginning of the service and the sermon, you know, your 15-minute buffer to make it to church. It's not the like time afterwards, like the music that's kind of in the background while we're taking communion or something like that. 
Worship is and will always be the mainstay. It's central. Why? Because God, the God that we worship, is central. Now, worship isn't just the why behind our mission. Worship's also, believe it or not, the how behind our mission. Worship is how we as God's people effectively welcome people in. Consider with me Psalm 95. It says this. O come, now think about this like welcoming spirit being sung here. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Jump in. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Hey, you're not singing. Come sing. Hey, you're not here yet. Come join. You don't belong? That's okay. Come belong. Lift up your voice. Join the song. There's room for more. Think about the unifying, magnetic power of singing. Uh, it's hard to imagine concerts today. It's probably been a long time since a lot of us have ever been, have been to a concert. But think about that unifying sort of magnetic power of singing, specifically singing with a bunch of people. I remember from my days when I, I attended and sometimes even played in concerts, um, how there would be so much energy in, in the room. And this was back when like, People weren't too cool to sing loud and to like to go nuts at concerts and that sort of thing. And there would be these moments where the lead singer, you remember this, the lead singer would like put their foot up on the monitor, probably, probably being a little bit too revealing there, but like put the, put the foot up on the monitor and then they would take the microphone away from their mouth and point it out to the crowd. And this is like, the, it doesn't matter what language you speak, this is the universal si uh, signal for you sing. And people would go nuts. People would lose their minds. And I remember being a part of that. Like, I'm, I'm thinking like, I don't know these people. I, I've never met any one of them, but every single part of my body is pressed up against them and we are mixing sweat and spit and God knows what right now. And I could even die in this stampede. There were moments I was thinking, like, if I go down, I'm not coming back up. But that's okay, because I'm in heaven right now. Like, this is the best. 20 years later, I think, if a washed-up, sweaty performer who cares really nothing about us but our sale, his sales or her sales, singing about really, probably really trivial, silly things, if they could create such power and synergy, how much more as we gather to worship the King of Kings, whom we confess has alone who has the, the words of eternal life, how much more synergy and, and power as we joyfully praise the God of the universe, if we could grasp the weightiness if we could grasp the power of praising God, I don't think any one of us would ever treat worship as a trivial thing again, ever. And so in conclusion, what I wanna do is I wanna read a call to worship. This is typically something you would hear at the beginning of a service, but I think it's fitting at this point. And it's, it's actually a, a call to worship from a church back east, and it's one that I believe expresses our heart and mission as a church and I think sums up everything I've said perfectly. It goes like this. 
And I want you to hear these words being spoken over you truthfully. To all who are weary in need of rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who uh, fall and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever else will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the lover of enemies, the defender of the weak, and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. Today, let's first and foremost receive this welcome by faith. This is our call to return, whether again for the first time or for the hundredth time, to come home, to turn from our sin and turn from our autonomy and return. Also, this is a call to extend the welcoming courage. You don't have to be the best evangelist. You don't have to be the brightest. You don't have to have your Bible memorized. You just have to have this ability. If your arms can go out at least remotely in this direction and you can put on even the smallest smile and say one word, welcome, you're a champ. You're in. You're recruited. And lastly, let's sing loudly of this welcome with joy. This kind of welcome is worthy of singing our guts out. This kind of welcome is worthy of giving God everything in praise. And so my prayer over you today in this church is verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Father, thank you for...